Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome... Hello friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have on the show Tyler Nielsen and Michael Schwartz, the writer-slash-directors of the new movie, The Peanut Butter Falcon, and I'll get to that in just one second. But let me remind you that we are doing a mailbag podcast coming up soon. I'll be honest, uh, I posted uh, a couple episodes uh, ago of a reference to this, and I kind of forgot that I said it, and then I started getting emails about uh, mailbag podcast, and I was like, oh yeah, I did say that. So let's go back and remind everyone else just as I needed to remind myself. Um, but we have had a, a couple good ones come in already. Questions, uh, we have time for a few more. So send in those questions for a mailbag, and I'll probably get to that in the month of September. So email those to me at Luke at Luke Norsworthy and uh, we'll get them on the show. Uh, also, let me say this about the podcast. Uh, we are talking about a movie today, not a book. And I have a deep commitment to doing no spoilers movies. I, I cannot stand it uh, when I even know anything about a movie. I try not to know a single thing about a movie before I show up at it, which has led me to a few bad movies. But more importantly, it has led me to create an experience about a movie that is almost from a blank slate. And so with that in mind, I hope that you've already watched this movie. It's been out. Uh, the, the nationwide release was on Friday. But if you haven't, I, I will do we, we will do our best to not spoil anything from the movie. But, uh, you know, I can't promise everything will be from like scratch when you watch the movie there's gonna be obviously some that we reference but there are no major spoilers and there's even a part probably about 35 minutes in the podcast that we specifically dance around a pretty uh, critical part of the movie that uh, would have been spoiled but the the plot of the movie that doesn't change the beauty of this conversation i think i you will really enjoy it it was a thoughtful conversation with uh with two guys who were just um pleasure to talk with and i uh, i hope you guys go out and support the movie and without further ado here is couldn't done this in person, but uh, yeah. nevertheless, yeah. let's just let's just do this. Um, uh, so, have you guys uh, worked together before this project, or is this the first time? I, I know it's your first feature, but have you guys worked together in other projects before? Yeah, Tyler and I, our uh, writing and directing team, did a uh, bunch of commercials and short films leading up to the Peanut Butter Falcon. Kind of been working together mm-hmm. for about ten years. And to to switch to a feature film or to to do a feature film. Uh, what was the uh, what was the difference? I've got a, a friend of mine who's making the same transition, and I hear him talking about it in the process and, and getting everything behind it. It seems like it's so much more complicated, but it still seems like it's you're, you're still just telling a story. It's just a bigger story, right? Yeah, you tell every story has its own rhythm. I think a feature is um, it's a really different pain. You know, it's like running a mile or running a marathon are two really different races, and it's kind of the same yeah. same thing with storytelling. So. Tyler and I, we sort of had to look up. We knew how to tell 30-second stories with commercials, and then we got up to 10 minutes, and then, you know, we were ready for the next step, which was 90 to 120-minute features, and we had to do a lot of studying because uh, it is just a very different thing. What were you studying? I mean, we went to the library. We checked out every book you could get. Um, there's a lot of YouTube videos, and then just watching movies, studying what worked in The Godfather? What worked in Stand By Me? What were what were beats that worked in inciting incidents and, and things like that? And what did, and what and what didn't work? You know, being like, oh, that that didn't work for me. That that uh, you know, sort of just cherry picking things that and, and and starting to understand when you're telling a story what works and what doesn't work. So, like for example, if I'm sitting here with you right now and I'm like, you know, Luke, let me tell you this story. You're gonna love it. So, mm-hmm. I woke up this morning. And I got my socks and I put my socks on 
And when I put my left one on, I put it on my foot. You know, like, you're already gone. It's been yeah. 10 seconds. already yeah. lost you. There's no, you know, like, so understanding, like, even when you're telling a story that's, that's longer, how to keep an audience engaged. It's a real, it's a real, uh, it's a real craft to keep an audience engaged for, you know, upwards of an hour and a half to two hours, you know, when it only takes four seconds to lose somebody. Yeah, that's completely true. I had uh, Pete Holmes on the podcast a couple of years ago. You know, Pete Holmes, he's yeah. HBO guy. Yeah, we're totally uh, aware. Crashing. Yeah, we know. We know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Pete was on the show, and uh, so I'm a preacher by trade, and he said something about uh, stand-up and preachers, you know, similar skill set, and he said, you should go try it. And I was like, well, uh, all right. And so I usually take July off from preaching, and so I went to comedy clubs throughout Austin, did five or six of them, and uh, doing open mics. Doing three minutes of an open mic compared to doing like a 30-minute monologue in front of my congregation, uh, it seems like it's the same thing, but it's drastically different. And I assume transitioning from, you know, a 30-second commercial to, uh, you know, two hours in which you're, you're really competing against like people's phones and their inability to pay attention. Like that is a, a major change. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, it's, and, and, and I agree with Pete. It is a lot. There is a, a preachery element and uh, not preachery in a bad way, but there is a, there is an element of like, we are up there telling a story, you know, like if you watch our, yeah. our movie, like our movie has, uh, you know, deep spiritual undertones. We, we take the audience on a cathartic ride for 90 minutes you know, hopefully it's cathartic for 93, four, five minutes. And with a similar end goal that they will leave, have, you know, you know, you have that with the Bible too. You have messaging in the Bible, like, you know, this story, you know, it's like, and we keep, we retell these stories so that, that our audience members or your congregation or will be like, Oh, you know what? Like be, I am David. And maybe my workplace is Goliath or maybe my, uh, mm-hmm. my father-in-law is this, or, you know, like, and we create yeah. parables inside things, you know, that's what, you know, in some ways sort of that, the, the Bible is, uh, old, just old, you know, old school storytelling chapters and films all wrapped up in there. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of truth to that. And, and it, admittedly, I always, I didn't realize that preachers only do 30 minutes. So part of me is like, Oh, do you only do 30 minutes? You, should, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you gotta go longer. You gotta get, get into that long form storytelling. You know, if uh, so, I'm a white guy, but I've preached at black churches before, and I would go 45 minutes there, and they're like, "Hey, that that's too short." And I'm like, uh, "White preachers typically don't get to go that long." But yeah. you know, different places, different spaces, whatever. But uh, the, the story you guys tell was it, it was so well done. I'm a huge fan of it. And I don't mean to just uh, yeah. butter your bread on this, but I really think the story was told very well. And so, doing some research, uh, you guys have said that the story really began once you guys went to a camp for actors with disabilities and you met Zach, whose character is also named Zach in the movie. And so you write the story based on this one guy. And so what was it? Obviously he's a compelling character. He's charismatic. Uh, some, some really fascinating stuff about him behind the scenes. But what did you see at this uh, camp for disability or uh, excuse me, for actors with disabilities that made you fall in love with Zach? He's just uh, an engaging person. He's impossible to look away from. And it was his, his outlook. I think, you know, he approaches everybody with love in a way that I hadn't seen before. Um, he, he disarms people. I think I come to a new relationship sort of 50, 50 and I'll evaluate a person and say, maybe I'll like him. Maybe I won't. And Zach comes to every relationship saying, I love you. Um, he, he has a very beautiful spirit in that way. 
And I think that was something that Tyler and I saw a story could be built around. And also Zach um, is the most optimistic, self-confident person I've ever met. Um, so, you know, I have, and most people have a lot of, a lot of doubts every day. Um, but Zach was doing a great job acting. We knew he had a talent and he said, I want to be a movie star. There's one night at dinner. He says, Mike and Tyler, I want to be a movie star. And my response is, act that's hard for anybody to do, but, um, you know, especially you, there's not a lot of characters written for people with down syndrome. And his response was to say, cool. Why don't you guys write and direct it? Um, I'll be the movie star and we'll do it that way. You know, he's just, he doesn't see barriers where, where other people do. So he sort of spoke the, the story into existence. He created his own opportunity in a way that I think is rooted in his, the way he approaches the world. It's just really optimistic and confident in a way that I, I haven't really seen before. Yeah. So there's a, a scene in the movie which uh, Zach's character jumps off this platforms 35 30 feet in the air yeah. and uh so the story is that uh the stunt guy said he can't do it but during lunch break i hear that he practiced on a smaller platform until he eventually got the thumbs up to be able to jump off that 35 foot platform which speaks to kind of like the character and the the perseverance that uh, that you guys saw in zach as well yeah well, i think there's it's something interesting i think normally um characters th- that are disabled are shown as like b or c characters not as really complete human beings and not, um, I think it's rare to see a character with Down syndrome that has a goal or a character with Down syndrome that experiences frustration. Um, they're usually, it's not written that way. And friends with Down syndrome do get frustrated and they do experience joy and they do have goals. And the, the stunt that you're talking about is, you know, we, we had a challenge, you know, luckily we ended up with the producers that we did, but even getting the movie made, um, a lot of producers wanted to cast the Zach character with an able-bodied actor playing down syndrome, you know, sort of, you know, Rain Man did it really well with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Hanks did it really well in Forrest Gump. Um, but we didn't want to do it that way. We wanted to do, to do it for real, not because we were doing it, um, for charity, but, be, but because we thought Zach could do it better than anybody else and more authentically mm-hmm. and more affectingly and more emotionally. And, you know, the, the stunt coordinator that came to our project, he hadn't been on the path we'd been walking for five years. He, he came to realize that Zach was um, so capable in not only communicating emotions, but also doing stunts. And it took Zach saying, you know, the stunt coordinator said, okay, so Shia can jump off and then we'll have a, a uh, stunt actor come in, the stunt performer come in and, and do the stunt for Zach. And it took Zach standing up for himself and saying, why can't I do it? Well, like, why, like, why? And the stunt coordinator just saying, you know, there's insurance and, you know, basically it's like in the script, there's red tape, there's rules, there's regulations. It's Zach just saying, no, I can do it. And then our team responding really well and saying, you know what? He really can. Zach is a great swimmer. Zach has been living his life. He lives independently. He has a job to to limit him. Isn't fair to him as a performer. And it's sort of what the whole movie's about. So what are we doing? And it was a nice pivot on set where, you know, Zach again, created his opportunity and we had the, the, the ability to, to do it for real. 
Yeah. Uh, up until I read the backstory for that scene, what I thought was most Im- impactful and impressive about that scene is that you were able to get me as a viewer to celebrate when a grown man punched a kid in the face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> coming from a preacher, we did all right then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say I was a good preacher. I'm just saying I am. But uh, yeah, to, 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 to think that you could get a, uh, a grown man to root for another grown man punching again in the face uh, is impressive. But to figure out the backstory makes that even more impressive. But the reason that Shia's character punches him in the face is because obviously this kid is mistreating Zach. And in that scene, there's, uh, again, the word which... The the most jarring thing about the movie to me was the language, the, the use of the R word, yeah. which... Uh, like, I just don't hear that word, ever. And to hear it in a movie was, uh, it was jarring. Tell me about your your thought process, and obviously, you probably had to put that word in there, but what were you thinking behind Yeah, I, first of all, I love that you don't hear that word. Um, I I still do, unfortunately, and, I, and I'm with Zach sometimes when I hear it. And for us, you know, we worked closely with um, Michelle C. Witten at the Global Down Foundation and um, the Shrivers at both Best Buddies and um, the Special Olympics. And they said, please, please show the bullying and the hardship that these um, the people with Down syndrome go through. Um, show the complete character, just like you're showing goals and frustration and joy. Please show the hardship and to to ex- exclude part of that to make something go down a little bit easier isn't doing justice to the story and isn't doing justice to the community. So, you know, we talked a lot about including that word or not including that word and um, decided that it was best to include it to have, you know, the most authentic portrayal and for the story to work and also for the benefit of the community so that, you know, more people get to have experiences like you where they don't hear that word very often because they see the harm that it can do. Yeah. Well, I, I think the word needed to be in there to, to represent all that you're trying to accomplish. And, and I think it makes it more authentic as someone who's lived in the South and, and kind of seen some rougher parts that do have that sort of treatment of others. Uh, it, it makes sense. And there's a unique line in there where uh, Shia's character is told by uh, Dakota's character uh, about why he shouldn't say that word or something. And then his response is, you're treating him like one. And the fact that she's treating him as less than human is, according to Shai's character, the same thing as saying that word. Yeah, and, I'll, and I'm just going to give a little more background on that, because Shai's character, we're really careful he doesn't use that word. Um, oh, he doesn't? No, he okay. doesn't. It's, it's very important. We only have villains use that word. We're, yeah, he says you're treating him like that, but he's, no, he doesn't use it in, a, in, in that way. Yeah, so it's... Okay, good. So the Dakota's character is just being, um, is coddling um, the character of Zach and being sort of condescending and uh, Shia's character says, don't do that. And she says, don't do what she says. Right. Yeah. You're treating, you're treating him like you're treating him like an R word. And then she said, I've never used that word in my life. And he goes on to say, well, coddling yeah. somebody in its own way is, is very condescending and limiting to that person's experience in the same way that using the word might be, but, but he doesn't mm. say the word. Uh, well, first of all, I respect uh, that's well done as a storyteller. Uh, that that probably would make it very difficult to root for Shai's character if he is actually saying that word towards him. Uh, but but what you find about Shai's obviously he's a very complicated character. But uh, y- you want to root for him. Obviously, Shai's a, a you know great actor. And uh, but I, I, when I watched the movie, 
when the scene that he meets Dakota's character in like the convenience store, mm-hmm. it's like he he turns something on. He's a completely different person. He's turning on his charm and he's charismatic and and obviously he's trying to flirt with her and all that. But until that part of the movie, you didn't see any of that in Shy. All you saw was. A, a deeply flawed and broken and, and grieving person. Yeah, it's good character art. <laughs> we wrote it like that for a reason. Yeah, well, I mean, you're professionals, I, I guess, for a reason. When when he turns that on, were you just trying to show that this guy has a different side to him, or that? I mean, tell me what you're trying to accomplish with that. Uh, I think we're. T- uh, I mean, I, I think it's to show people have how all, all people have different sides. I think we're really trying to show his interest with Eleanor and then, and then also create tension with when he finds out that, you know, Zach ran away. Like it, it, it's a a reveal combined with an attraction to somebody combined, you know, like, um, you know, combined with, uh, you know, what that scene really does it it more so than show him be likable. I think what it really does is show that shows that character, you know, Tyler, the shyest character that, and Zach are, are more alike than he realized. So when he comes out of the store, he's like, ha ha, all right, this is, this is cool. We're on the same team. I didn't realize you were on the run from the law too. All right, this is what we need. Now we can be buddies. Uh, so I, I think it was, that was more the purpose of the scene. I don't think it was to show him have a different side, but I think that, you know, when you hire an actor, and by hire, I mean, get, get the ability to work with an actor like Shia. Shia brings something to every scene. So, you know, Shia, Shia as an actor did that probably more so than our writing did that. Hmm. I'll, I'll, how, how do you balance that? I want to speak to that question a little bit too. This is Michael. Um, you know, the Tyler character is coming, like you said in the question, from a really damaged place. And I think he is, even leading into that convenience store scene with Dakota Johnson's character, he is um, coming back to a more grounded place from loneliness and self-loathing from past mistakes um, from having spent time with Zach. Um, so in the, the scenes leading up to it, there's a, he's made the decision to help Zach before even running in Dakota. And I think when we make mm-hmm. decisions to help people, a lot of times it's, it helps them, but it, but it also helps ourselves um, feel more grounded. Yeah. And so there's that thing that's happening already, and it continues throughout the film, you know, up into the climax of being of service to something or something bigger than yourself uh, awakens a spirit within you that maybe is, is deeply buried when you're lonely or when you, you've hmm. done something you regret. Yeah, no, that's... That's pretty right on. Uh, and as someone in my profession, I've seen that time and time again, that often when we're stuck in, I, I have a friend who, who lost a, a husband recently and her response was, I want to serve the poor and I'm going to be involved in our benevolence ministry. And there's something cathartic about getting outside of yourself. Uh, yeah. I, I love the way he told that. And he, he obviously is, Shy's character is obviously a troubled character, but you don't, you don't overtell the story of where his trouble comes from. There's a there's a section of scripture in the the Jewish wisdom literature that says the more the words, the less the meaning. Mm, mm-hmm, I like and that. With, with yeah, I mean, I, I do too. It's kind of in my book, but uh, it's uh, that was a Bible joke right there. Um, <laughs> when when and this is, I guess, a spoiler alert. But when when Shai's brother passes away, you, you tell that story, but it's just with a few flashbacks a, as you were crafting the story. And you decide this is like, did you think like this is the bare minimum that we can 
put and devote to that part to get us to where we understand where he's coming from? It's, I don't know if you ever saw a movie called Moonlight, but they did a, a flashback with traumatic experience and they pulled the sound out of it. And I think we were really affected, or I was really affected by the space to project my own background, my own story, or my own pain onto a character is sometimes more powerful than anything that could be shown in a scene. So when, when Tyler and I were cutting that together with our editor, Kevin Tent, we experimented with it, with it a couple different ways and found that less is more and that leaving space for the audience to project their own pain or their own feelings onto this brotherhood was more powerful than playing out a little bit longer or with dialogue. Yeah, I, I completely see that. And the nice touch for his shyest hat that he wears the whole movie is actually his brother's hat. Yeah. It just, I, I've got a, a guy I work with named Andrew who is, his undergrad was in theater, and I didn't tell him I was interviewing y'all, but I asked him about the movie before I wanted him to know that I was kind of connected, like I was rooting for this movie after I saw it. And his response was, the movie is perfect. There's no BS. Like you've cut everything down very simply in a way that there's not extra stuff in there. But my question is like, how do you get an actor like John, I don't know how to say his last name, uh, who who played the brother. How do you get like the Punisher from the Netflix show? Like to come in. Yeah. I'm going to be in this role. I'm not going to have a word said and I'm just going to be in a few cuts and that's it. Like how, how does that pitch go? Uh, it's a great question, uh, and, I don't, and it wasn't even a pitch. Well, well how, actually, how it happened was Shia had worked with uh, John Bernthal, Fury, and um, then called in a favor. We asked him who, who he felt like would play his brother well, and he said, John, can I call him? And said, Oops, you know, and you know, the truth is, is I think that when Mike and I approached story and we approached you know, the, this making movies, and I certainly do my best to approach it with a how can I be of service to the film, you know, it's not about me. I, I don't need pats on the back. I don't need like, you're the best, you know, directing person. Like I just don't need it. Uh, and it's not, it's not why I do this. It feels good to be respected by your, by peers, but you know, that I don't think Mike and I ever step into stuff with that mentality. And I think that then bleeds out to our cast and crew, you know, Shia wanted to be of service to the film. You know, John Hawks wanted to be of service to the film and even Bernthal, he was like, yeah, it's a smaller role, but, but I'm, I'm going to come, service and shy is one of my best friends and i love shy and and if he needs me there to to help him or to be of service to this film then i'm going to do that and i think just having that mentality and carrying that you know with into your work or the things you do creatively or spiritually or whatever that is is, is really uh profound and 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 gets that stuff done so you know if he had been like i don't know it's not big enough of a role you know <laughs> like, that was yeah. i don't think that would have served uh anybody very well because you know films are about the story nobody you know there's never a film that's about it's not robert de niro's movie you know what i mean like we're all yeah. we're all trying to get these lessons somebody's got to play david and somebody's got to play goliath but you know it's Mm-hmm. so yeah being of service i'll just say it it'll take yeah. me 10 minutes to get there but i'll just say <laughs> being of service uh well that's good okay now obviously for someone uh from uh my professional background you know i'm gonna have to ask about the baptism scene mm. because it seems like it was a, a turning point in the movie now now physically they they start uh their journey in a much faster pace once they get on the other side of the baptism they they get the boat they, they start moving at a faster pace but did you when you're writing the baptism scene, there, there's this crazy character who's 
got this kind of like this crazy religious perspective, but it seems like he's also trying to make a turn, like something turns at that scene. Am I reading that right? Um, you're reading it right. And by the way, I just want to say he's not crazy. It's a little different. <laughs> you know, um, uh, I grew up, I grew up, uh, going to Southern Baptist church, um, with, mm-hmm. with, with people. Uh, I, I also went to, I love church. I love Mormon churches. I love something that really makes me really emotional is people singing in harmony. Just the word harmony, mm-hmm. you know, speaks to depth of harmonious nature of, of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, he's probably that gentleman um, uh, is probably played a bit more, a uh, bit more like you, Southern, real intense Southern Baptist. Um, yeah, his you know the whole film has a sort of a, a soft perspective uh, of looking for something, be it with meaning and beyond yourself. And you know, I don't talk about this a ton. Because, you know, there's something about talking of, you know, that sort of like, and, and uh, I'll put it in church, or, you know, more phrase to sort of, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, it kind of can leave the room sort of thing. You know, you know, you don't talk about yep. sometimes it, you, you sort of like you can hint yep. at it and you can, you can, but when you start talking about it, it becomes, I don't know if it's blasphemous, something weird happens, but, um, but I'll speak a little bit about that scene. Uh, Tyler's from the South, you know, and this is in obviously writers is how we wrote it, but Shia might've played it different. So, you know, we'd have to discuss it with him where he was coming from with it. But I think as a character, you know, first off, he, the, the, the guy says very clearly, if you do like there are people chasing you, I can clean you. I can get this. I can clean this off of you. If you'll just come down here and do this. And I think that Tyler is a character. I think it really rocks him. You know, the next scene after that is, is basically that, that really emotional moment. I think, I think he wants to feel like he left this stuff behind. I think he really does. And he doesn't know how to. And I think that's the closest he's felt like he could have, you know, I don't know if it's because it's the nature. I don't know if it's because they're outside, you know, I don't know what it is. I think it's speaking to him in a way that's, Ring, is ringing very true, but not necessarily completely right. So yes, that character was a Southern Baptist. That character was talking about a higher power, but maybe in a little bit of a way that wasn't perfect for, for Tyler. And Tyler mm-hmm. says, you know, and, and again, I don't speak about this often and, and, and this is not, you know, this film is for everybody. This is for all people. But um, Tyler says, yeah, I'm just, I'm not a Baptist. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm more, he says, I'm more of a baptism by fire kind of guy. And yeah. at the end he finds himself and I'll, and I'll do this with very broad strokes. He finds himself at, at Jacob's Inferno with a wall of fire behind him when, when, uh, when uh, the hammer comes down for him and his life. Hmm. And so he gets what he gets, what he needs. He gets, he gets that, that, um, you know, that salvation he was looking for maybe. And the truth is that he gets it from being of service to somebody else. You know, his hero moment is really simply watching someone else have their hero moment. Having been of service to somebody else is, is, is a, is what I think that character needed. And, and he was willing to sacrifice maybe even his own life to see that through. Yeah. So yeah. that's, I, I think that, uh, yeah. So I was going to say the intimation, no, I, I, intimation, that scene is, is sort of leading us to that spot. 
Yeah. Well, there's uh, a tradition that the uh, the ancient mystics used to never talk about their mystical experiences because exactly. the very time that you try to put the the spirit into words, it it loses its ability to to carry something. And I, I've had a psychologist friend explain to me that mystical experiences affect one part of our brain that is the opposite side of our brain from the part that we use to create words. And so it's, it, it's literally a, a different part of our mind. And so to bring them together in some ways uh, devalues the experience. And so I get, I'm making you do that. So that's, that's kind of my bad, but. Oh, no, no. Listen, and listen, listen I just want to say this real quick. You definitely didn't make me do that. I think it's important to talk about, and I also think it's important to talk about even the ability to not talk about it, you know, like it's, it's important to give permission to people to feel like, I love talking about that scene. I think it's a beautiful scene I get, you know, it was a tricky scene to write. It was a, it was a, uh, it was, it's, it's, there's a, we're asking the audience to do a lot of nuanced thinking there. And I get people, you know, I'll be in Washington DC and, you know, an older African-American woman came up to me in DC and she said, that's the most beautiful scene I've ever seen in a movie. And thank you. It felt so truthful and honest. And I'm a very religious person. And I just want to thank you for that. Um, and I'll also get, uh, you know, uh, a young man in, um, in Indiana came up to me and said something really similar. You know, I think, I think it speaks to speak people's spirits and, uh, and, and yes, it is, to, it is to talk about those things, but it is also important to say, Hey, I feel it. I'm glad you feel it. And, uh, and talk, yeah. we'll talk about it some, but you know, there's a lot of details we don't talk about. Those mystic experiences are, there's a reason we don't write about surfing, you know, like you can't really capture the feeling of surfing, <laughs> you know, like yep. there's, there's no movies that are great about surfing. It's just, it's just a feeling. And how do you make a movie about that? Well, deeper, you know, deeper experiences that might make us feel uh, a sense of, um, belonging to a higher power or a group, you know, this group thing, you know, I, I do think it's, it's tough to talk about, but it's important to talk about. Cause Mike and I, yeah, talk, yeah. we're there, talking about some... it in nuanced ways, you know, we're doing it in our own version. We, the film is talking a lot about that while not talking about it. Yeah, no, no, I, I get that. It's hard to put that into words. And there's something about storytelling, which kind of moves past just the literal and it moves to the literary yeah. of communicating yeah. where, and, and Jesus is a storyteller. He didn't just say, you know, you need to love the people who you don't like. And But he tells a beautiful story about a Samaritan, an unlovable person who loves someone who everyone else walked by. And it's something about stories that can kind of bypass the uh, the cynical and the, the literal. And it, it gets it to a higher level. And I think that's that's really uh, frustrating when you try to explain a, like a mystical experience to someone who doesn't have that. Uh, I, I had an experience. I, I'm a huge shark fan, and I had an experience to go uh, free dive with sharks a couple months ago yeah. in Hawaii. Yeah. And I've tried to explain that, like this is, it was amazing. It was, uh, it, it was life changing. But if you don't have that experience, you don't have the passion. Then it just is like, oh, cool. I hope you didn't get your arm bit off by jaws. Yeah. Like it doesn't. Words don't do justice to the experience. Mm-hmm. So I totally. But I appreciate storytelling that that helps us to experience it without dumbing it down. Well, I think it's, I think now, it's, again, what we do as storytellers, we're trying to, you know, to come back to it. Like we're trying to take the audience. I want the audience to have that feeling. And I think it's kind of cool. They leave the, you know, if we're lucky enough that they do, they leave the, they leave the theater and they go, I can't explain it. This film makes me feel a certain way and you got to see it. Yeah. I heard uh, Pete Berg in a podcast one time, uh, Berg, Berg, whatever, uh, talk about, oh, it was after the, uh, the movie did with Wahlberg about um, Lone Survivor. And he was talking about how you can tell when a movie's good if the audience finishes the movie, they're sitting in the theater, and how long it takes them to pick up their phone and to look at their phone. 
And I think a good movie like just makes you sit in it and it makes you ponder, makes you just go, okay, I just experienced something. And with that being said, I'm going to, again, do something I shouldn't do, but there's a, a scene at the end in the wrestling ring. Yeah. And be careful. Be careful. Something happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can, is this... Is this a big spoiler alert? Should I say, like, if you haven't seen the movie, skip past this part? Because I have to ask you this question. Well, we could, maybe, we could ask, maybe we could speak about it in a way that doesn't give it up. Hmm. I fully respect your... Hmm. Okay, here's the situation. I'll, I'll cut this out if you don't think it should be on there. Uh, right, cool. Because I don't want to ruin the movie for people. Okay. Um, I, I've got a friend of mine who's, uh, whose son is in my daughter's class, one of my daughter's good friends who has Down syndrome. And so once I got this podcast scheduled, uh, my wife and I called her up and I had a conversation with her about the movie because she saw it and she thought it was really amazing and she loved it. And there's a scene at the end where uh, Zach's character has the ability to do something physically which uh, might stretch the bounds yeah. of normal human limitations. Yeah, okay. that's, that's fine with me. And, are you good with that? Yeah. Okay. And I saw it and I thought, okay, does this become fantasy and so my friend andrew who i work with says this is the kid seeing the reality that he wants to have happen okay so that's one option i've got another friend this is the mom who says you know you know people with an extra 21st chromosome uh, often have even though they have low muscle tone they have enormous strength and she tells a story about her son at the age of five needing you know multiple adults to hold him down for breathing treatment and she said i I think he physically can do that and i thought I don't know what it is, and maybe I shouldn't know what it is, but it seemed like something different happened in that moment than the rest of the way the story was told. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you. you know, we, we, it's funny. I have, I have an idea about what happened. I think Mike has his own idea of what happened. I've, you know, I've, I've heard it a few times. People are like, is that, what is that? Like, what's, what happens there? Is it this? Is it that? I actually like audience members. Like, what do you think? Like, actually, I'm curious. Like, Luke, what do you think happened? So, like, do you think it was just, simple strength do you think that you know what do, what do you what's your take on it okay first of all i re- i respect your judo move that you're doing right there um there's there's an old rabbinic tradition of a, a rabbi walking with five people and, and all the five students say oh i'm so sorry to the other you uh, the, the rest of you because rabbi was clearly just talking to me today and the next one says no i'm sorry because he was only talking to me and the next one says, no no he's only talking to me yeah good good stories i think do that um i would go with the the fantasy element. That's, that's my read on it. And maybe I'm too literal, but, um, nevertheless, it's a compelling scene. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and, and, and again, you're not wrong. I would probably, I would probably go somewhere else, but that's, I'm not wrong either. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, when you make a movie, you know, a movie is not, we made a movie. We didn't make it perfect. We didn't make, you know, like, uh, so, so it's, it's a, it's, it's a different world. You know, a shotgun also wouldn't blast somebody backwards toward 40 feet. That's just not how, uh-huh. how uh, True. things work. So we, we bent the laws of reality a little bit for you in this world. Um, do I think it happened? Yeah, I do. In this story, I do believe that happened. Um, is it okay that, you know, I, and I wonder, I wonder, does, you know, that I, you know, my daughter is three and a half and she loves this movie. It's her favorite film. Um, mm-hmm. And she asked me questions about it a lot. Like she asked me, is Elmore a person that lives in the world? You know, she asked me that yesterday. You know, she, she asked me about Zach, you know. She knows Shia. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I think her as a three-year-old with her spirit and her, there's an openness to her that I don't think she ever questioned was that a possibility. I think she just let it wash over her and believed that 
you know, maybe it's a bit of a parable or to if everybody says something is impossible, that actually this person can do the impossible. And then what our idea of impossible is, is redefined. So, so, you know, in the world I grew up in or lived in just a few years ago, people said it was impossible for Zach Gottsagen to star in a feature film. It was impossible. Mm -hmm. That's never going to happen. Maybe a B character, maybe a C character, but that's an impossibility. Well, when he is in the film, you know, you could parallel it. You could say he gets, he's in a film. He does a fantastic job. He holds his own with Oscar nominated actors, Thomas Hayden Church, Bruce, John Hawks, you know, Shia LaBeouf, you know, one of the best actors of my generation. Like he steals scenes from them. We have, we redefined the impossible to something that is not only possible, but done, done better than people imagined. Um, so I'd probably more par- like put it like that. And I think my daughter as a three-year-old, somebody who hasn't been affected by the world and doesn't understand cynicism or sarcasm yet can fully accept. Yes. I see Zach. I see him do the impossible. And I know that the quote, you know, it's, it's Dumbo flying with his ears. You know what I mean? There's examples of this in every story, you know, it's, or not every story, but a lot of stories. Yeah. And then it makes me wonder too. I'm like, Oh, like, and not, not, not you Luke, but you know, it's like, Oh, like, do you think that's in his mind or do you like, or is it possible that he actually did the impossible? And maybe we can even as adults start to be like wrap our heads around like, Oh yeah, maybe I should think about that. And be like, Oh Yeah like all the, the reality we're living in, I can actually help shift and change by simply like telling a new story or shifting the ending of the story or, you know, the, like the stories we tell each other become our lives. And, and I think it's important to be aware of that and how we, you know, what stories are we telling? Are we, you know, and what stories are we telling ourselves? Yeah. That, again, to go back to the words of Jesus, uh, Jesus did say, unless you have the faith of a child, exactly. into the kingdom of God. There's something about stepping beyond uh, what you see and being able to see bigger than that. And so the story is written ab- about the actual actor named Zach. And what I read about Zach is that he was the first uh, person with Down syndrome uh, to go all the way through his school down in Florida, I think. And the first person to go through traditional school. And uh, in some ways, he already did with his life what many people thought was impossible. So yeah, he wouldn't be fitting that a story is inspired by him continues to do that. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, okay, so I had a friend who was at the showing y'all did at uh, South By yep. um, a couple months ago. Yeah. And uh, one of my friends uh, sent me a picture uh, of, I, I, guess, I guess it was uh, Ty- Tyler, I think it was you, who... Uh, before the film, went and shook hands with everyone there. Oh, yeah. And afterwards, as everyone was leaving, you were shaking hands afterwards. Oh, yeah. Which is a very, like, that's like a, that's like a pastor move right there. Tell me what, uh, and that's very, like, endearing. I think people realize, oh, this is an actual human being who cares and appreciates yeah. people showing up yeah. to see his work. Um, is that customary for you? Is that out of the ordinary? No. It's or very, it's what inspired very, that? Very customary. Uh, I, am, uh, I, I have so much gratitude for for the people, like people lined up around the block. I was homeless. I was living in a tent. Mike, we were like, my life was really, I, I undertook a lot to get that far. The fact that people lined up around the block and paid, you know, 10, 11, $12 to 
to see, and I'm saying this with finger quotes, art I made mm-hmm. is a gift. Like it is a true blessing. And I do not take that for granted. And, and also wanted, you know, like I personally selfishly just wanted to thank people, even, you know, just thank you. Like it made me feel good to thank them. Cause I was so grateful, you know, you know, we had, I was, I'm not bummed. We had a late showing, you know, it was a 10 30 PM showing people are tired and, and, and come out to sit in a theater till almost midnight and then do a Q and a till one in the morning. Of course, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to spend 20 bucks and go get a big bucket of coffee from Starbucks and bring it to people and thank them. You know, like imagine, imagine if you had been trying to be a pastor or a preacher and, and had spent like, 12, 13 years trying to get someone to listen to you. And then all of a sudden one day, 250 people line up around a block to come listen to you, to, to listen to you talk at 1030 at night. Like I bet you'd shake every single one of their hands. You know, I, I still, like I shake everybody's hands. I'm grateful for all everybody that comes. I, I want to connect with people. I want them to know that the story comes from a good place and that, you know, it is even being on this podcast, it's a larger, you know, like, if you don't tell people and they don't tell people this film will never be seen, like this message will never be heard. And, and I'm really grateful even to you for doing this podcast with us, you know, because, because you're helping that message, you know, be heard. I I think, you know, I want to live my life in, 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 uh, in a little bit of being of service and, and then to come back to that. And, you know, this is, it really is helping this message that we're, we're here. And yes. So anyway, shaking hands is a large part of that. Oh, that's good. Now you said something about, uh, art, like in quotations. Yeah. Tell me about, tell me about why you said that. It's just, you know, it's art. Like, you know, like I, and you could, you could say like, we're not curing cancer. I think we're giving people hope. I think there's a lot of good stuff coming from this film, what we're doing, but like, this isn't like a, uh, an, a neat, a quote need, you know, like, you know, this is, this is, uh, entertainment. This is art. This is, this is not, uh, this, you could, you could easily choose to not come watch the film. So I'm like, people paid money to art. We made <laughs> that's a gift. It's not, you know, they're not paying money to, this isn't paying their rent. You know, they're, they're taking their hard earned dollars and going out there and, and, and spending it to watch this message in this film. And I'm grateful for that. Well, that's great. Well, I'm very grateful. Y'all uh, wrote, you directed a, an amazing uh, movie. I'm, I'm, congratulations on your first feature. Thank you. I'm a big fan of it. I hope everyone goes out and sees it. And uh, next time you're in Austin, hit me up. I'll get you some tacos. You got it. You got it. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, uh, well, it'll, I, I appreciate that, and uh, we uh, will look you up when we come out to Austin. Thank you for taking the time to, to chat Thanks with us. Thanks for checking Thank out you. Newsworthy Thanks, with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.